You're listening to Radio Primavera Sound, proudly presented by Cupra. Welcome to the Weekly Review, a radio show where two adult survivors of an 11-day festival deal with the inevitable come-down blues by looking back and cherishing some of the many moments of joy provided by all those wonderful, wonderful bands and artists who we watched perform and come by our studio for a chat. Today, we reminisce, reminisce. We'll try to remember some of the things that happened at Primavera Sound and re-listen to some of the things artists like Interpol, Kruangbin and Phoenix had to say. Transported back to that massive stage, Estrella Dam, last Saturday, and just being like, all right, Phoenix Sword, oh my God, they're playing Listomania. I mean, oh. how good is that? How good was that show? Seriously, it finished, by the time it finished, I felt like it was as amazing as Daft Punk's Pyramid, uh, Pyramid show. I'm going to say it. Wow, I wouldn't quite go that far. I really enjoyed it, but I wouldn't quite go go. I'm, I'm going that far in the sense of energy, like the, the 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 optimism of that set, the the panache. They were so loose doing it. They just did not lo- loosen their grip. It was just banger after banger. Yeah, yeah. Barely any any uh, time between songs. It was you know kind of like Daft Punk, which they obviously they they mixed their whole set. There was barely any stops in the Daft Punk show but, but phoenix do do those kind of medleys don't they when they play like if i ever feel better i can't remember what they medleyed it in with uh, with funky square dance ah nice yeah and i, I love that as well yeah like, and there was a bit there was a bit for everyone apart from Al- alphabetical which i still maintain is an absolute bag i don't think they played anything off that they didn't play anything of alphabetical and years ago they'd always play run 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 which i thought was a very weak song for a live oh my concert. god shut up it was it had this sort of like sort of a pedestrian kind of rhythm really broke the rhythm for me and in this one they kind of focused mainly on uh, wolfgang amadeus phoenix bankrupt and tiamo they obviously played alpha zulu the new song um they but they didn't play anything off it's never been like that which is kind of the album that really started off their 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 new phase which which eclipsed and entered the empirical phase with uh, Wolfgang Am- Amadeus Phoenix but that album has plenty of bangers and they didn't play anything off any of that surprisingly but they didn't need to it's like wow they've got so many hits and not and they really are festival ready songs because they have so many different changes and sections and build-ups and 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 they stop and start. It's very dynamic. Their set list is very dynamic. They're sort of 
slick, but without that being a bad thing. If you see what I mean, like yeah. kind of like slick, but not 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 over. I'm not quite sure how to express it. Like like because when you say words like professional, it sounds a bit shit, doesn't it? But hmm. like they they are. They kind of really know how to do a good massive gig without it coming over as overly slick. Like the 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 backing, for example, the 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 projections they had at the back were gorgeous, weren't they? Were incredible. That's what I mean about Daft Punk level of spectacularity because this incredible. They had these frames these uh these different frames different sizes which created this incredible kaleidoscopic effect at some points they started off with this beautiful projection of what looked like really expensive italian marble uh with what looked like a scenery like a lake it looked like lake como and you know phoenix has always been that the most bourgeoisie of bands and they even talked about how European they are. You know, even though we know them as uh, a French band, you know, they're, they're personally, their they're families, they're half German, half Italian, some of them. So, you know, they're the proper Central European band, shall we say. And and all those kind of luxury, historical, Italian, Italian, um, European sceneries are all projected not only physically in their set, but also in their in their music. Didn't they actually project like one of the rooms at Versailles? That was something that, yes. looked, that looked like the kind of throne room or something like that. I absolutely yes. love. and also what was weird is I don't know if it was just the projections or if it was just me but like it seemed to give like a real depth to it it looked like like it wasn't it that, wasn't like a flat sort yeah, of yeah 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 whereas other people I mean I loved how I loved Tame Impala's projections uh, Caribou's uh, even Yeah Yeah Yeah's were very minimalist they had like this gorgeous red backdrop digital red uh, to, to highlight their silhouettes but when it comes to silhouettes the four Phoenix boys and their keyboardist and drummer, they look so good. They look so sharp. It's really good to look at, like, just sort of seeing these guys who are just effortlessly cool. I've seen a lot of people mention Phoenix, one of the best bands of the festival, because um, they played twice, and uh, I didn't see the first one, sadly, but I saw the second one. And a lot of people referencing how Thomas went off into, into the crowd, and, like, so far into the crowd yes. as well. Like, what, like, 40 feet or something? Like, And he goes with that beautiful red cable, which is kind of like the red thread. You know how yeah, that... Yeah. Remember, Arab Strap had an album called The Red thread and there's that myth about how it's i think it's a japanese um tale of how two lovers were joined by an invisible red thread uh, it's it's one kind it's some kind of romantic fable i don't know if that's what he's alluding to but it wasn't he it wasn't he didn't even have the microphone on that thread anymore i think that he ties it to his belt so that the security can pull him back afterwards so that- <laughs> which I thought was very funny. But I remember we were talking to him, uh, and he he's like we talked about the Pablo Spaniard gig, where which was obviously a lot smaller, four thousand people or whatever, and he got hoisted up in the crowd. And I think we asked him if he was going to go to the crowd. He's like, oh, I don't know, you know, it's like big, big, and he just went for it. And people love that. People absolutely love seeing and like the, the fact that someone comes into the crowd like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, Nick Cave plays with it as part of his stage uh, spectacle. Now, being constantly with the masses, he's got a special kind of uh, platform to walk along the main... And it look, and it gives the effect, when you're looking at it from afar, that he's actually walking over on, on, on in the people. Uh, but Thomas takes it 50 meters further ahead and, and he rolls and, and he stands. He manages to balance himself. And it must be amazing because it's a proper teamwork. It's, it's almost a nod to Castellers. Because that's what Castellers, the Catalan, the, the human towers, that's what they do, right? They stand on shoulders. They've got a very geometrical system for doing this, but he does it. Uh, yeah, obviously in Catalonia, it makes sense. We didn't ask him about that. We should have said, is this some, an idea you got from watching the Concours de Castells? Do you know what? There were so many things when that interview finished, I was suddenly like, why didn't I ask about that? I know. Because we had Laurent with us as well, who was in Darlin with Daft Punk. And I could have asked like about a 
thousand hours of thing of things about that. But um, yeah, we'd been waiting. I mean, they were they weren't later or anything, but we've been waiting around for a bit. And like Fred again had cancelled, and, and we were a bit sort of nervous. I think the interview went really well, but I remember I was a little bit flustered when it started off, which kind of explained. Also, the other thing is, I bet if you'd asked them about Castellas or the Red Thread, he'd probably known about it because yeah. they're that cultured. I love the thing we were talking about. Uh, in the interview, we're like, oh, who sequences a good album? And he said, well, you can't beat Johann Sebastian Bach. And you're like, oh my God. And then explain why, you know? You it's know, like, such a Phoenix answer. Like, they're not going to say, like, oh, well, you know, Kraftwerk do a good sequencing or, I don't know, uh, Ted, Todd Rundgren. They're like, no, 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 Johann Sebastian Bach. I'm like, wow. You because guys. the key goes up or something like that. I'm not entirely yeah. kind of, um Obviously, you can listen back to that interview. Yeah. And it, it, yeah, that interview was very nice because, you know, we, we talked about Philippe's Dach, uh, who sadly passed away. And, and he was such a he, he was almost like a fifth member of Phoenix he's always been with them he's produced many of their albums and he's always been around and, and, hel- and helped guide them everyone everyone who's worked with Philippe Star talks about how he was such a champion of, of talents you know and how he would uh, what, his greatest trait was he was such an encourager he'd always uh, get bands out of their low self-esteem points or whenever they'd be in a creative block and everyone who speaks about Philippe talks about his in- amazing positive energy and Phoenix even dedicated a song to him and projected uh, his name on, on their stage Ah, uh, oh, yeah yeah which was a very very nice touch talking of I guess positivity a lot of people talking about Nick Cave um, as as being one of the the acts of the festival and certainly the moment when he dedicated uh, oh children to his children which yeah. I'm not not exactly positivity but it's sort of very moving very emotional very a very good way of like um I guess acknowledging what a lot of people in the crowd were thinking the kind of mm-hmm. tragedy he's had he's had with his children and sort yeah. of you know um uh, Moving and and he said, according to you, they're probably out there watching effing Bauhaus. Yeah, that was a, yeah. He's like with his dry sort of swim. He's like, yeah, they're they're probably out there watching effing Bauhaus. Does he have beef with Peter Murphy or something? You'd think that. <laughs> no, I think I think I think that was just a joke. Yeah, I think uh, it was probably also just an acknowledgement, like the two goth kings were on uh, at the same time. Yeah, so, I missed. Uh, you know what? I've I've. Bauhaus have been have played occasionally over the last ten years, or you know they 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 they've reformed it once in a while. And whenever people go and see them, it's like yeah, the gig wasn't so good. And lo and behold, the time we didn't go to see them because we were watching Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. Uh, apparently, it was one of their best concerts they've done in in years. Well, just keep your wheeze to yourself. I went to see them. Oh, you did? Yeah, which means I didn't see Nick Cave, which was a bit painful. Um, well, but how was Bauhaus? <laughs> really good. Really, really good. good. Right? Like, I mean, obviously, I was comparing it to my sister's a mercy experience. Yeah. For like for very obvious reasons. Yeah. Um, and I've droned on about this enough, but basically, I went to the sister mercy, and they were shit and couldn't care, and they were really quiet and all that kind of thing. Mm. And Bauhaus, um, and another key key goth band, um, and I went to see them, and they were absolutely the opposite. Like, loud, sounding really good. And they obviously really, really cared. They just really, really played it in- incredibly well. And I was a bit blown away. I was, I was texting a friend of mine who's like the goth fan. And he was like, I can't believe you're watching Bauhaus. I've waited, like, I wanted to see them so many times and I've never managed to do it. And they were awesome. Although the only thing I'll say is uh, I realised, uh, I was really excited about it. And then I realised about 40 minutes in, I literally only know one Bauhaus song. And that they played it, and it was really, really great. But it, it was well, like Bella Lugosi is yeah, exactly, exactly. Did they, they, they play the ten, oh, ten minutes? Did of it? they? Yeah, did they? Oh my god! But they were quite—they were like surprisingly disco-y and dubby. They were really, really good. Like totally worth it. Were oh. they better than Nick Cave? Maybe not. Have I seen Nick Cave before? Yes. Was it the right decision? Yeah, I don't know. Oh, and also, if we're looking for best look, 
Uh, P. Murphy was was looking was looking good. He, he had a kind of a silver suit, didn't he? Or something. It looked like from the photos. Yeah, something like that. Some um, shiny. And it's, was his hair dyed blonde? Was it? Uh, I, don't, I don't know if it's from the lighting and stuff. Because sometimes you know they they had such a atmospheric uh, stage set that I don't know what the actual colors were, but they were very good from what I see. Were, was that a relive concert? Are we, are we streaming that? On our I ears? know. I don't. I don't mm. think so. I know. This is a good thing, ladies and gentlemen. If you keep listening to RPS all throughout the week, we are reliving some of the concerts. We're playing them back on our station. So make sure you tune in to hear what the band sounded like at Primavera Sound. What I did appreciate was every band seemed so happy to be back. First of all, performing at a massive festival after these two years of none being not being able to, and there have been many festivals celebrated since uh, um, lockdowns have been uh, restrictions have been lifted. But this felt like the official start of festival season. All the bands were super happy to be playing. Yeah, yeah, yes. That for me was one of my favorite gigs at Primavera Sound because they were so grateful. Carino, Nick Zinner, and Brian Chase. They kept looking out into the crowd like they couldn't believe. They were back, that they were playing to such a massive audience, and they were so. And Carino kept, she did this wonderful thing where she kept delaying, like extending the intros to songs like Zero or Y Control, you know, like letting the the loop sort of dra uh, drag on before she'd start opening them with her singing. And she was just sort of taking in the moments, like looking at the audience and sort of taking her time. Like it was almost as if she was gathering energy to like sing these songs that have meant so much to her and to her audience. And and it was really emotional, and and she was doing half the things she'd do 20 years ago, where she was such a um, explosive performer and diving into the stage and spitting on everyone. She was dialing it back halfway, and it was still amazing. Like she didn't even she didn't need to pull on all the stops that she'd pulled out 20 years ago, if you know what I mean, where where she'd break her leg and everything by performing. She was like. She was half Karen, and it was it still felt like a full blast. Uh, a Karen O. See, I didn't see them and i think i was doing things for my kids they're on reasonably early weren't they like nine or something nine like yeah, yeah I, I i missed them and I, I felt quite bad about that but i mean how many things do you do you, i mean it, it's like i didn't realize they hadn't played in so long like was it 10 years or something no i think they did play in 2018 i right. think they did play some kind of festival in uk or something so it's not like they haven't like they've been totally inactive but they have been they haven't been constant. They haven't been on the constant festival touring circuit or they haven't been touring on the back of, of their, their amazing legacy. Uh, they, I think they did a kind of a one-off. I seem to remember see, finding something on YouTube. Uh, oh, they, they've played a few, actually. They've played a few gigs before this. Um, but, like, the, you know, like a few... I, I mean, I guess you could... I don't know if you can call them one-up because, like, Brixton Academy, things like that. Uh, and then in 2019, they did a few things, like only a few, 2018, mm -hmm. a few. But like, you know, they haven't really been that active. They haven't. And she even said that uh, during her show that she had considered quitting, like gi giving up music and stuff. And that that, 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 this, that this show felt so special and that they were really, really happy to be back and that this has made them... Uh, recalibre. Also, uh, I've got a little, um, you know, things that happened backstage. I managed to sneak in to see, to watch the strokes from the side of the stage when they were three songs away from finishing their set, and the three of the Yeah Yeah Yeahs were there watching side stage. Obviously, they're, they're you know, they, they, they're friends of the strokes. Julian actually put out Carano's solo album on his Cult Records la label. Um, uh, so they're close friends, and it was great not only seeing the, the three yeah, yeah, yeahs together watching the strokes, like they really are 
a family unit. It's not like, you know, bands that they kind of, you know, they still tour, but they're not exactly like the strokes. I get the feeling that there is a little bit of, I don't know, maybe it's just, this is just my, my speculation. I got the sense that the, you know, the strokes are famously not super close. Like they, 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 they keep business running they they tour because they're a massive headline act they still get shit loads of money paid to to perform and they still you know they release wonderful music you know the new abnormal was even uh, even awarded a grammy award it was even awarded our album of the week it was our album I mean, of the week you know it. so they they still get their work done but they're it's been years since they were like the, the the gang of friends shall we say and someone said yeah yeah like when julian was doing his awkward stage banter <laughs> between songs like there was a moment where he tried to grab albert hammond and albert kind of ran away like no 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 no, don't 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 rope me into one of your embarrassing cringy cringy stage uh um <laughs> chats what did you make of his cringy stage chat i couldn't make it out because he, he mumbles and, right. and from where i was watching i was all the way behind right at the back so it was a bit muffled and then on, when I was side stage, you can't really hear his vocals on the PA because uh, it's 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 not good sound watching a band from the side of the stage. I must add, it, the best place is up front, uh, even if you're on the side or whatever uh, at the front. You know, always watch shows um, among the people or at the mixing desk or at the mixing desk, mixing desk. But um, but yeah, but that ro- that moment that I was side stage, I managed to see them. You know, I, I was shocked at how. Stoic Nick Valenzi and um, Nikolai Freiter were like they were just standing really still uh, performing, and that's always been their thing like standing really cool and 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 being you know not moving around and running from the from one side to the next. That's kind of Julian's thing, but I just got the feeling that there might be a bit of resentment now that he sold his his stake in the Strokes catalog, which is mostly his because he wrote most of the songs on the first nah, three albums. I don't reckon there'd be resentment. It doesn't really affect them, does it? Like... Well, he's getting a hell of a cash out and they're probably not. And that might... I don't know. That's always been a source of um, discomfort among bands, like those situations when... You know, when when a, when a, when one member does most of the songwriting and he has a different publishing deal than the rest of the band members. Yeah. I don't know. These are all speculations, and I hope that you know that 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 things are taken care of in the whole camp. You know, and that it's not all about the money; it's about legacy. But but yeah, you know, it's it's talking bands I hadn't played together for a while. What do you make to Pavement? Oh. I mean, I know that's back in weekend one. Our, our memories very vaguely exist of that, but uh, I thought they were absolutely brilliant. Brilliant, and I wish I could have gone to a Porto to watch them for a second time from a closer point, a vantage point, because I watched them from so far behind. I'm never going back into the VIP area to to watch a gig because y- y- people just come up and talk, and and it's nice to run into people at festivals and stuff but when when a band like pavement that have reunited for this occasion and they're probably not going to tour in a long time after this tour uh please let's just be respectful and watch the show or i should have been uh, more respectful of pavement and just gone out front and battled my way with, with you know to to watch them from between the crowds where the where the people are quiet and watching the show well, but i do remember songs you know the new and slightly controversial vip area yeah um that was a very good place to watch pavement i found 
Yeah, because there wasn't that many people. I managed to watch the last three songs from there, from the Golden Circle, which was no longer at the front, if anyone who wasn't at Primavera this year, they, they decided to put the VIP Golden Circle next to surrounding the, the sound sound mixing desk, shall we say. And uh, yeah, for Pavement, it, was, it wasn't packed, so it, it was comfortable. And I just thought you could see it really well, hear it really well. I, I really enjoyed Pavement. It was actually one of those times when I did manage to go and see them from start to finish and basically, you know, just listen for, for most of it. And, and yeah. I, I think we were saying that I found what they played a little bit surprising because, yeah, they did play like, you know, Summer Babe and Cut Your Hair. But also there was a lot of songs I wasn't necessarily expecting, yeah. um, like Serpentine Pad, for example. Serpentine Pad. I keep on going on about that because it's one of my yeah. favourite songs and they never play yeah. it. And they played it. And so. they played it. Secretly call numbers, and uh, they they sounded better than they've ever sounded like. They sounded beefed up. They sounded perfect for such a massive stage because they had this uh, new keyboard oh, player, yeah, 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 who beefed up the songs and did some of the choruses, and you know, just sort of it just it sounded more cohesive than they've ever done. And pff, wow, I really do hope that after they finish this tour, they. Either they get the win, you know, the, the, they, they could record another album. Come on, Dinosaur Jr. still recording great albums. Uh, Ride, who we talk to, they're, yeah. they're still making relevant music. You know, I think all these bands that get together, they really, they, they figured it out. They, it, it, they, they don't sound stale at all. They sound, there, there is a craving. Even the younger generation now, Gen Z is up to, is, is appreciating that kind of slacker 90s indie sound. And let me say as well that... Um, I was looking basically at, on, on Pavement Reddit. They were talking about our interview um, with, with Pavement. And somebody there said, I'm so glad Malkmus is in a good mood. And I was like, yeah, yeah, he was in a good mood. He was, in, he was enjoying it. And, you know, they see the pics after he's got a wide smile. And, like, you know, I get the impression maybe being a Pavement is slightly more difficult or, or, or yeah, difficult for him than, than for the others. He's maybe slightly more ambivalent about it, but I think he's definitely enjoying it. He's in a very good mood when we interviewed him, very good mood at the gig, and I think that really came across. I think it like speaks really well, and they got lots of gigs coming up. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was nice seeing the whole of them back together, and, and you could sense that they really are getting famously on, uh, famously well on. Is that well said? They're, they're getting on... <laughs> famously, getting on famously well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that's the nice thing that's what I love about seeing bands that have a history that you know they might have had some t t turmoil maybe 10-15 years ago and all of a sudden they're so they're happy to be back first of all because everyone has been in a pandemic so all of these bands were just so thrilled to be playing all these massive audiences and 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 people receiving them so well it really was a once in a lifetime Primavera sound in that sense like I hope this happens from now on, but you know, maybe next year people will be like, "Yeah, we're we're back to the grill of been doing it for night. a year. We're doing this. Yeah, we're tired. We want to, you know, and it's and it's festival after festival. And no, 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 this felt like we were very privileged to to be one of the first festivals of the season in the world, and and them enjoying it so much. Hey, should we play an extract from our Phoenix interview? Yes, shall we? Because Alpha. Zulu. Well, is that the? Is did they confirm that that's going to be the title of the album? No, no I don't they think didn't. They said. I they don't didn't. think they said yeah, album. Yeah. But we got loads of exclusives on the album. Loads of exclusives. Listen to this one. Time some other day, you're not close. 
and usually uh, you've always had an external help uh, making your albums. I know you guys obsess over things, little details. Sometimes it can take forever, right, to yeah. to finish a song. Yeah. Was it like time this? Was it like this this time around? Were you yeah. faffing about a lot? Uh, yeah, we we spend a lot of time on on small details that no no one will even ourselves won't notice in in two years. Yeah. But uh, that's part of our personality. Uh, this time we, we 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 did the album on our own, almost. Uh, in we had the most beautiful studio in of the world because it was in the museum of the Louvre, you know, in, in the palace What? of the Louvre. Yeah. You recorded in the Louvre. Yeah, they yeah. Let, let us tell. It's it's the palace of the Louvre. There's the Louvre, and then there's another museum called the Musée des Arts Décoratifs. Oh. And we had an empty room there where we. Created a small uh, uh, do-it-yourself studio. Yeah, and we stayed there for uh, two years. Two years. Two years What? in the Louvre, Hang and on. it was empty because it was the pandemic. So we were in an empty museum with, yeah. But usually strange. there's a lot of bureaucracy to use, like uh, uh, an official building, like <laughs> a, like the Louvre. Um, yeah. What? How did? First of all, why did you decide to record there, and what made it easy to for this to happen for you to build a DIY studio? I think we always like a place that's not necessarily appropriate for music. You know, a place that doesn't have gold records on the wall, or so these have like amazing everything else. Just uh, so we. When we knew we could, I think I remember be, with Chris going walking in the garden, being like 15 or 16, and thinking like, "What are all these rooms? I'm sure some are, some are empty, some are." Um, and then it was possible somehow. They were looking for a band. They were looking for people to make music and create things in there. And we were our name. I don't know what meeting. Uh, I wish I was a fly on the wall in that meeting, but. And so yeah, we stayed, and then pandemic happened, and we stayed for a long time. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I get you close to sublime the alibi of Mona Lisa, immortalized. It got me to wouldn't change. I wouldn't try. And not a second till I rise. All the gram waiting for the tide break. Woo ha! Singing hallelujah. I mean, who, which band do you think would record in the Louvre? I mean, uh, if you had to choose one, it would be Phoenix, wouldn't it? Phoenix. I mean, I'm, and whoa, and when they, and when we started like sort of uh, speculating with them, it's like, oh, because they said, yeah, they produced it themselves. And uh, um, we asked, well, who, who did they have any kind of external help or any of their many, many friends who are producers who would come in to, you know, to listen and they'd play tracks back to. And I sort of sheepishly suggested that Thomas Bangalter from Daft Punk come in and Laurent, uh, Laurent goes, how did you know? <laughs> I'm like, oh, well, I, I mean, don't know how you know that. Uh, I don't know. Yes. That. It's like, oh, <laughs> do you have spies? And it's like, yeah, so we could kind of, if we were clickbaiting journalists, we'd say Daft Punk produced 
kind of co-produced the new Phoenix record, but no. Well, they well sometimes people get executive production credits for just coming in one day and saying, yeah, turn up the knob, turn up the bass on this one maybe, and repeat the chorus and that one, and then it will work. You get two percent for being in the room, don't you? Yeah, and that is is the popular. Um... But that's the thing, you know. That that's another thing that's amazing. It's like, look, you're 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 like teenagers in France. Thomas Bangalter, uh, Laurent Brankovitz, you're all mates from, for, since you're 12 years old. You're all sort of dis- deciding to play in bands together. Uh, Daft Punk were famously called Darlin before, and Laurent Brankovitz was their guitarist. So all of a sudden, you both become two of the biggest bands in the world. And, you, you know, that always strikes me, like the probabilities that you and your childhood friend become world-dominating forces in festivals and music and gr- winning Grammys. They've both won Grammys. Uh, it's Yeah, because that's the thing. Like You think about Darlin, and you're like, well, two of them went on to form Daft Punk, and you're like, oh, the other one must have felt awful. And they're like, well, no, not no. really. Phoenix <laughs> became Grammy Phoenix. Great time, you know. Remember when uh, they, they, Phoenix played Madison Square Garden, oh. and all of a sudden at the end, they're like, forward, make it, make it. and all of a sudden Daft Punk appeared. They, they lowered, came lowered from the ceiling, didn't yeah, they? And like, yeah. what looked like a spaceship or something. And what's amazing is that they, they revealed that because they were going to play co- headline Coachella. Oh, yeah. Uh, that uh, uh, the same year, I think it was, they were like, okay, we have to do something special. And it's like, well, we already brought Daft Punk out at Madison Square Garden. It'll be kind of obvious. And, you know, they're, they're, these kind, they're so cool that they don't want to repeat themselves. And they were like, and, and then they were very candid in responding about that now kind of infamous, infamous collaboration when they brought R. Kelly on to perform a mashup of um, 1901 with Ignition. If I remember correctly, and uh, they and it and it worked really well. It was it was a very sort of uh, it was very talked about. It's like ah, you know what a what an unexpected thing like Phoenix with R. Kelly doing this weird crossover, and they spoke about how they felt about you know when when they watched the documentary and found out everything that the world found out. I thought um, I thought they answered that really well because you yeah. asked it just at the end, and I thought oh dear, well, let's see, is it all gone really well? Let's see how this goes. And they were like, no, 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 they they answered it like perfectly well. In fact, they went. In fact, Thomas went. You're you're speaking about R. Kelly before you'd kind of got out yeah. as you were getting around it, and he was like, you know, he, he because I, I guess this this is this is the one thing I like. I remember for many years there were sort of rumours about R. Kelly and people were like, ah, oh, well, you know, people would still like play his songs and DJ sets, you know, and, and mm-hmm. I think a lot of people like in, in, in previous years been like, oh my God, how could I, how could I play that, that song or whatever? And, and they totally owned, owned the answer. And they was and it was revealing because they said that initially one of their ideas had been to bring out the Beastie Boys. Oh yes, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. Adam Yarch had had lent them lent them their one of his studio his studio in New York when they were at some point when they were recording, and uh, but uh, I think what hang on did they what had he already passed? He, yeah, he'd I passed. I think he passed. Yeah, he'd yeah. already passed. So you know, uh, Mike D and and uh, Ad Rock, you know, they 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 they. they they, they never ever want to perform without Adam, you know that the Beastie Boys will no longer exist without without their third member. So uh, it was there was quite a reveal, and obviously they would be friends with the Beastie Boys, wouldn't they? You know, it's just like <laughs> they're they're all part of that that incredible large table of the coolest people who defined like so much of my favorite music growing up. You know, Beastie Boys, Phoenix, Daft Punk, and they're all friends. And Sofia Coppola putting them on all, on her soundtracks, and they're so nice. 
I've got to say, this is this is something we came back from uh, two weeks of interviewing a lot of you know in, intense interviews. You did how many interviews did you do? Twenty four. Oh you kind of been far behind though. I wasn't far behind, but you you really pulled the bulk of it. And and shout out to Mar. You know she's 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 resting today. Uh, she she did an incredible job. Uh, interviewing so many, so many bands, so many, uh, you know, she had so many incredible moments. But yeah, but my favorite was staring into Tomas Mars. Uh, oh, he's a good looking eyes. man, isn't he? He's Blind. a good looking man. Good. And he still looks the same. He's been looking that he's not, he hasn't got the dad bod. You know, I think he's got two kids by now and he's he's a happily married man and there's no sign of it. He's like still slim and skinny. That Those wonderful blue Oxford shirts are still nice and fitted. Do you know, ever so often I think I'm going to get into wearing shirts and I wear shirts for a bit and that is what I want to look like. And yes. yet rarely do I look like that, unfortunately. And he, did, did you notice he was wearing a shirt with a t-shirt underneath? Yes. In the intense Barcelona heat and like oh. not sweating or anything it's his look it's so iconic and 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 he tucks the shirt in because you know get you get to a snake when you tuck into a trouser there's a little bit of flab that's going to come out uh when you're over 40 and and he still tucks it in and you don't see the sort of happy the the, the he curve hasn't of got happiness them. he hasn't, he hasn't got, got them, them. That's, that's why you don't see what them. is your diet tomorrow what is your man what your diet please tell us and and laurent the same uh, they all look so fabulous. Ah, um, what about in Interpol? We're Interpol, gonna, like, another band that still looks fabulous. The, the way they stepped out of their van, this shiny black van, uh, the, the people carrier, you know, they drove them up to our studio and the door opens and out come these three slender looking adults in their incredible slick black suits. It was, uh, it was just... I was like, please record, record uh, to our cameraman. And they're like, no, we don't have a permit. It's like, okay, let's not. Uh, but they were also wonderful, super candid in our interview. Uh, we obviously wanted to wanted them to spill some beans on their imminent uh, new album, which will be out uh, this summer. And uh, we've already heard three tracks and they were really, they were just so happy to be back. Uh, we also have a snippet of that interview, which I'd like to play right now before we run out of time. I think that's a very good idea, David. Let's listen to what Interpol had to say at our interview in Primavera Sound. You truly erupt into heart by a resizable guy. I am decidedly cold. I ain't taken the fall. I have forsaken you all. Is the album going to have a, a gentle mood? Is there a cohesive thing going on? Or. Will there be moments like PDA? I mean, <laughs> no. I think that it has. Yeah, this, yeah, yeah. Um, no. I think it's. Um, I don't know. It feels like a, a very dynamic, complex record to me. I wouldn't, you know, categorize it in any one way. I would say cohesive. I do think it has like a, a real binding sound to it. But there's definitely sort of more rock moments than. For instance, in the two piano songs that we put out, um, yeah, it's a pretty, it's a pretty fun record. But I think it may have its own unique, you know, signature to it that may be a little unfamiliar. But I think that's part of like evolving as artists, and so hopefully it's bringing something kind of new and exotic for people to chew on. And there's definitely some songs that have a bit of menace to them. They're not all like laid back. I would say like something like Into the Night is it's oh, yeah. got some meanness to it and some left turns. You know, it's our so. prog rock song. Pro, Interpol and Prog Rock. Our, you I'm know, open. Well, it's our, our, our version of, you know what I mean? 
Maybe you don't. I shouldn't have said that. No, no. I, I, I can, I can kind of imagine. Uh, I can have fun with that imagination. Um, it's the. Is this the first record you've had to work on remotely due to the pandemic circumstances? Yes. And what was that experience like? Was it? Did, did you? Did you enjoy this process? This way of working solo and then bringing it together. I think eventually. I think at first it was kind of nerve-wracking because we've always done it in like a basement. You know, like even throughout our career, we. we where we could have afforded like to build a studio and have like a proper rehearsal facility. We never did. We just kind of kept it, you know, kind of punk rock style, you know, in a sweaty basement. And, you know, we're really close to each other and kind of operated on that tension and, you know, kind of synergy. And now, you know, at this point, when we hit the pandemic, we didn't have that, but there was other discoveries that were made, you know, in working with this process. So, you know, we, we kind of grabbed the bull by the horns and pushed it to its to its limits to eventually, you know, create an album. Really looking forward to seeing that, uh, to listening to that album. I enjoyed their show. It it didn't feel much different from the last time the play, they played, but I like that. That's what you have to expect from Interpol. They they're, they're down to business. They're going to keep things dark and moody. They're going to have the bangers, but they're also going to play songs like Lee Erickson, which, by the way, I have to say, Daniel Kessler after the show confessed that they added Lee Erickson to the set list after our interview, where I suggested that it's Whoa. a fan favorite. That we, I really love that song. I can't. You, you basically play with Interpol. <laughs> You're basically in Interpol. <laughs> well done. That was, you know, I almost cried. It's like, really, you've added it? Oh, was that? Well, oh, oh, Dude, hang on. They did they? You've interviewed them a few times. Yeah. And you've seen which one of them lives in Barcelona? Daniel. Daniel has a house here. Uh, who and you've seen him around in Bar Brutal for some organic white wine. You know him a bit, right? Yeah, 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 okay. uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Also. And and he's super sweet. And yeah, yeah, Barcelona is his home now. You know, second home away from New York. Um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's a sh- well, it's a shame they had to go and play Oporto the next day, so they kind of didn't hang around that much afterwards. But um, I wonder. I have no news from Porto. Like what did did it happen? Like did, it happened. Who went from our office? Like, was there anyone? I I have no idea. I'm slightly confused by this. Like some people must have gone. Yeah. But like normally, you know, the the Barcelona finishes and and you sort of see exactly who's going. But I have no idea who went. I mean, they must have had like a parallel team or something. Yeah. You can't obvious. have. Um, uh, yeah, I, and they know what they're doing. I mean, they're the 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 partners in Porto. They they've been they they organize festivals. I think it's the same people that do Paradis de Coda, by the way. I'm not sure, uh, but uh, anyway, the, the, it must have gone well. I remember there was a beautiful photo of Warren Ellis hanging around with uh, Pavement uh, at the backstage at Porto. Uh, Stephen Malkmus went a few days earlier to enjoy the city. You know, it's such a beautiful city, Porto. Um, but yeah, it's like it, we we were so dr- absorbed from the at the Parkdale Forum that we almost forgot that you know the, <laughs> our twin festival was happening at the same time and and all these performances were going down there. Because yeah, bands would sometimes say to us, "Oh yeah, we're going to Porto," and I was like, "Oh yeah, yeah, I f- <laughs> forgot about that." <laughs> hey, do you know what I thought was really cool? Um, let's see, Grandma. They yes. were like a late addition to the bill, and they only found out about it like 
three days before or something like really? that. That's really cool. Like, I've always wondered how that happens. Like, because I think festivals like have lists of bands that they can call on if someone drops out. Yes. But I also think when someone drops out, there's probably an element of just being like, uh, let's hit grammar cool and let's hit grammar are cool. And, you know, getting, getting the play. In fact, your interview with Gabby on the very first day was really interesting because actually before the first day because yeah. you were talking about this and how hard it is to, to replace replace bands but like yeah they were just like oh well a few days ago we got a call and like, we'd like to go and like yeah and and, and they went it's funny because Gabby in the interview said it's not like we're a football team and we've got people players on the bench you know like oh uh, this one's fallen no problem we've got uh, um, Benzema to put up front you know no uh, but but agencies apparently are always waiting because there's a lot of first of all I don't well, I don't know how negotiations go that way but basically if you're a talent uh, talent agent this is part of your job it's like keep a lookout for inevitable cancellations at festivals so you always have your uh, bands ready to send over bands that maybe don't need much of a backline you know that they're not like Dua Lipa who has her own show or Tame Impala who bring their own show you know and it's like no we can't perform if we have their trucks are in Poland, you know, and they won't get there in time, that kind of thing. No, it's people that you can just rent a Learjet, uh, send them over, and as long as they've got the basic sort of things, you know. I think, was it... Well, that's the good thing about hip-hop artists like, you know, Tyler, you know, he didn't bring... He doesn't have... Oh, well, no, Tyler's got an incredible stage setup, you know, he can't just yeah, fit in you, last yeah. moment. Um, speaking of Tyler, that was, that, you know, I forgot that he was in Barcelona for so many days. <laughs> any, any reports of seeing him around and about doing cool things? Apparently he was staying at the Edition Hotel, which is right next to my house, and I did not see him at all. And my and the, the chef from the restaurant, the Mari Rufo, shout out Samu, he was like, I was taking out the garbage Saturday night and I saw that your mate Tyler. I'm like, what? Hmm. He's like, yeah, yeah, your man Tyler, he was out there, you know, with all his security guards and... And I was like, damn it. Hang on, I've got to say that the addition, the hotel next to your house, I find quite depressing from outside. It's, it looks like this great black monolith. I'd have thought yeah. like, it could have had someone a bit. Well, it's one of those sort of designer choices. You know, it's very it's very Belgian in that sense. You know how Belgian architecture is yeah, very yeah. austere and 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 and, dis- and dark and and yeah, I, I, I can't say it's the nicest facade, but inside it is beautiful. It's all and it's got a very beautiful scent. No, I wouldn't say beautiful, it's just got a very characteristic scent. It smells like and I was thinking about it yesterday, in a good way. I know if I say armpit, you're gonna think, What? But imagine like a a very clean person's armpit, like someone who uses like natural oils. Uh, and like sort of oil, uh, wood oil extracts and under her armpits and it's a nice sort of smell but it's human at the same time. Well, it smells like that. And God, it, that sounds awful. It sounds awful, <laughs> yeah, but it's sorry, not. Bro. It's like sexy. It's like, it's musky. It's uh, it, it's a really kind of, mm, what's this kind of smell? Mm, the addition hotel, it kind of makes you feel a little bit sexy. Hotel smell is important. It is, it is. And Ian Schrager, who also fun, uh, founded the Studio 54 and founded the edition hotels he knows about this he knows a thing or two about sexy odors it's probably what he tried to channel i want this to smell like studio a backstage at studio 54 at four in the morning when grace jones was there and stuff i don't know it it might yeah maybe it's the smell of grace jones it might be yeah Mm, i'm gonna look into that um but uh, yeah so tyler performed in barcelona uh, and it was a hell of an event but so many people this is the thing i don't i i 
we were very spoiled Primavera goers yes. this year. There were so many headliners and there were so many prisms to look at it. It was like a goth edition with yep. Nick Cave and Bauhaus yeah, yeah. and, and Varg. Uh, I, I accidentally, because I was just sort of strolling by there, I was like, what's going on at the WeGo stage? Shout out to the WeGo stage. Loved it. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Love, big fan of that. Shout out to Napalm Death. You watched, So you went and watched Napalm Death and I got a bit of FOMO like, I should have gone and they seen that. They were so good. So I accidentally made up for that by seeing Varg Vickerness with his new outfit. Uh, you know, Varg who used to play in, was it Burzum? Yeah, something like that. One yeah. of those uh, Norwegian death metal bands. Um, here I am typing to <laughs> Google my search. Uh, yeah, no, 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 no. He was from Mayhem. Damn it. The one from Gorgoroth. I don't know. Uh, I want to get it right. Well, goat uh, Why is it not? Infra You've lost me. I've lost. I've lost. Um, damn it! Sergi's usually good on this. I'm, I'm, all the death metal fans are gonna like burn me at the stake if I get this wrong. Anyway, I saw a death metal act, and I think it was Varg Vickerness. Because I keep saying Varg Vickerness. Anyway, I saw a death metal show which was amazing uh, on the WeGo stage, and that was probably one of the. You know, Sergi was saying that it was one of the, his favorite stages because that was where Caroline Politek performed. Jenny Beth. No, not Caroline. Hang on. I, no, we Car go no, no, is no. what used to be the Adidas stage, right down at the bottom Caroline of the Polacek port. Caroline Polacek was Plenitude, which is what used to be Pitchfork. Oh, she did Plenitude. Yeah. I thought she was stuck on the WeGo. Okay. Yeah, stuck on the WeGo. WeGo rocks. That's where Napalm Death play. That's where, like... Um, yeah, I didn't mean... I mean, I mean, stuck in the... Okay, yeah, stuck sounds negative. No, because it's a smaller stage, so you get the, the intimacy with an audience, and it, and you nev it never gets too crowded because they kind of put the edgier stuff there. But um, but yeah, I got my dose of black metal on on very atmospheric black metal, I must say, on on the Saturday night, and I hope I get the artist right. But uh, what else did you see down at that stage? Uh, I saw Marta Knight because like I think that stage had it was either that or the Cooper had the first gig of the day, like they got going really early, and like. Four thirty or four forty-five is quite a good time for us, you know, because generally that's when we had small lull in our in our in our interviews, and we could go and see some stuff. Sorry, I've got it. Gal, Gal's weird. Gal's weird. I can't. I kept getting Varg, Varg, because I knew there was right. two A's in in the in the name. I'm sorry, death metal enthusiasts. What I meant to say was Gal, the wonderful Gorgoroth leader. Gal, uh, he came with his new band. Gal's weird. Uh, he had his face totally, totally Ooh, painted in I'd black and white. Them. Oh, yeah. And he had his two guitarists and his bassist, you know, headbanging and, you know, with their sleeveless T-shirts, you know, the, the, this incredible dark Viking energy. Uh, you know, it was just a, a very visceral experience. And, and I could, I, and I watched half an hour of it. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 you know where I'd come from watching? Fred again. Because he played twice, right? So he played on Plenitude. And I ran... And I and it was almost like very I, it was very touristy of me. It's because I just really wanted to see Maria and uh, Loving Arms, and they were obviously the two songs yeah. which he ended with. So I just managed to get into the set, into the audience, into the crowd, just when he was kicking off Maria. Was there a marriage proposal or something? Like somebody, I, I read something about that, but I didn't actually see it. Wait, there was something about a marriage pro. No, wait, wait, wait. I'm confusing because I know that someone proposed marriage at some other festival in the UK and apparently they got a lot of online uh, trolling. So but, uh, so the festival decided to give them lifetime passes as a 
compensation for all the aggro that they've dealt with online for getting married on stage or something or getting proposed. This lovely couple. But on but it wouldn't surprise me that at Primavera Sound someone proposed marriage uh, during the Fred Again set. All right. Uh, this is taken from Reddit. Fred Again, the proposal truly had me in tears. Does that mean a marriage proposal? I don't know. It must have. I mean, it's it's very... Who wouldn't? Yeah. If you're going to propose to your partner at, a, at Primavera Sound 22, it had to be at Fred Again's show uh, during... Do you my... know what? It, or it could have been Napalm Death. They're very nice people, I've decided. Like, very, very um, good left-wing politics, and they seem up for... I reckon they would let you propose on stage. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's not confirmed. And... But... and, and... <gasps> Sorry. What? Or Krungbin. Are there, is there anyone nicer than Krungbin? It, uh, they were the nice... I mean, everyone was super nice in our interviews, but they were so extra... And they really caught us off guard. They have to have one of the most amazing record collections between the three of them. And I would, I would pay good money to visit their barn studio where, they're, where they rehearse, looking out into the open desert. Imagine witching hour. They're in what, Texas City? Because I confused. I, I said that they were from Dallas I think, I think and they're, they're from, from Houston. Austin or Houston. I, I th yeah, I think they said Houston. Anyway, all of Texas it must be a great place to visit. And if there's one place I, I would I would love to go and visit Kruangvin, um and watch them perform in their own studio. Talking of their record collection, should we have a little extract from uh, their interview? This blew you away, didn't it? Yes. I mean, the Spanish audiences are going to have a laugh when you hear about how well they know Spanish music. So like, what, what's what about Spanish music? Because you're such avid music fans. Mm -hmm. Are there Spanish bands that you like? Yeah. Well, your second album, a lot of it had a, it even had a Spanish title. Uh, Todo el mundo. Mm -hmm. um, like uh, Las Grecas. You know yes. Um, yeah, I love um, Susana Estrada. Goza mm -hmm. um, Yeah, it's like. Yeah. yeah, I mean, she's a freaky woman. I love it. Yes. Live for it. Um, I like Paloma personally. She's huge. So, yeah, I've, I've been digging back into her catalog recently. And I like the stuff that she's doing too. Yeah, El Fadi was a Fadi. big influence for us um, on the last record. El Fadi. I, I mean, we would never imagine a band, any band, especially from Austin, Texas, to name drop El Fucking Fadi. In a, in, like, he is a god in Spain. You know, he's we, in Spain, we have Julio Iglesias and El Fadi. And you're either of one or the other because gotcha. Julio Iglesias was like the, 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 the music of the rich, the music of the wonderful. Right. And Fadi was like the working class hero, you know. So it's like there's always been the two Spains, no? And Johan, whose T-shirt were you wearing last week? I'm a, Julio, I'm a Julio Iglesias. Well, I, I, I aspire. I like some Julio songs. There's some good, there's some, it's not the like big songs that we like, but there's a couple jams of Julio that I like. But um, yeah, Belota, our song off the last record, was a very El Fadi inspired song. 
This is yeah. a, it's um, a little like chili pepper, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, we have the headline already. This is uh, the, the, of, the, of this show. Oh, um. See, I mean, uh, I, we could have spent hours. I w you see, I would love to go visit them to watch them play in their barn and to have a look through their record collection. Kruang Bin. What a shame I missed their show. This is the, the thing about working at a festival. You can't, you're not there to watch shows. You're, you're there to cover. But I was amazed. They were like, are you going to come and check out the show? And I was like, yeah, knowing I couldn't. Because um, I had an interview. And you were like, no, I'm not, I'm not, I can't do it. I so know. And, and just her, say yes. And Laura Lee's like face of deception. She's like, oh, you know, like. Mm. Do you know, a lot of people said that that to us and um, I almost felt like some of them genuinely thought no one was going to come to the show and like we'd be the only one there I mean and which which is really interesting isn't it it's really interesting like bands that have been this big and kind of played I guess maybe you get to a festival with these people and like we're playing a massive stage oh my god is anyone going to be there please please come like um, Sofia Cortesis who we talked to she was like yeah no no do come you know I've invited six people but you know if you come there'll be like eight and, and uh, I couldn't go because I was, I was interviewing sadly but i said i was going to so yeah oh, sorry sorry sophia cortez's yeah uh, i i i missed her set as well and i really like sophia cortez's music uh lovely person absolutely lovely person as well totally she's got an album coming out that was an exclusive she's got an album coming out oh yeah this year uh well, well yes soon. i think so yeah lovely lovely yeah. we want to hear more i'll get the interview up again and, and you can you can have a listen and, and okay so this was the first time i think ever in going to primavera i actually managed to make it to dj coco set not yes. for a long time not for a long time but I, I i made it and it was so massive i mean first of all the crowd everyone there watching coco's return after three years because in 2019 he stepped down and let uh ainara and uh, sorry dj samayax and um rosario dj uh finish off close the festival with a wonderful set of electro pop uh so he came back and it was banging man he you know because what i love about coco is he's always managed to make He's always been DJing like pop songs in in his indie disco kind of sets. Like you know, even way back, he'd always play uh, Kelly Clarkson's "Since You've Been Gone," and he would mix it up with you know classics from you know Elvis Presley's um, "Suspicious Minds." You know, he's got sort of a couple of songs that are iconic from his closing sets. But this time, he went full on like a contemporary pop. He put The Weekend in there. He put Katy Perry's "Firework." That wonderful mashup of ACDC's "You Shook Me All Night Long" with Robin's "Dancing on My Own" that was an incredible highlight. And finishing off with Harry Styles as it was 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 a fantastic, you know, pulse on the. Uh, he's got his finger on the pulse, shall we say? And obviously, his encore was Journey's "Don't Stop Believing," which prompted the most the massive sing along, everyone chanting back, hands in the air, punching the air. It's such a triumphant song. Um, and he started off like because this is the thing like we we were all sort of pouring down there to see see if we could go and I thought he chose his opening song absolutely perfectly as well so perfect let's start listening to it in the background 
Kate Bush is running up that hill, which has seen a resurgence in popularity, it has re-entered the, the charts all over the world. In the US, it has entered its highest position ever. It, it entered at number eight and it's climbed up to number four on the back of being featured prominently in the latest season of Stranger Things, which was the best hangover antidote. I binged all that wonderful new season. It is it is so good. It is probably one of the best seasons so far, Stranger Things. I haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen it yet. Oh, Ben. I mean, we love it for being a, an 80s hark back to like, you know, John Carpenter, The Goonies, uh, all those sci-fi and horror 80s films. And here we've got like, you know, it's it's almost Star Wars-y because there's like, you know, Eleven using her force. She's uh, and, and, and it's like Freddy Krueger. It's like Nightmare on Elm Street. It's... It's just basically mashing up again all these different references, but making it all new and fresh. It's it's introducing new characters, so it was such a wonderful nod. Like, even though so much was happening at Primavera Sound, something else was happening that all of us were in love with, which is Kate Bush being back in back in the headlines, shall we say? And the fact that she's been so <coughs> sorry. Oh, here I am. Good DJing. That see, that is what is, this is what. It was. It's choosing that tune that if you think about it now, it's like, my God, that's it, it's evident you had to put on running up that hill. But uh, it didn't occur to me if I'd been DJing, I wouldn't have known what to do. Johan is having something of a of a coughing attack. I hope he I hope he is uh, okay. Um, but I think it might be the chance uh, to say goodbye uh, for another week. We'll be back next week. Uh, Johan hopefully will be if he if he's if he's still alive. I think I think he's all right. Uh, Oh God! Uh, he's, he's crying, <laughs> laughing. All uh, right, we'll see you next week. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. This is Kate Bush.